welcome back. Diary of a Therapist. Cass and I are here to talk more about narcissistic personality disorder with you guys. You gonna say hello, Cass? Hi. <laughs> so I'm gonna recap for you just really quickly. We're gonna jump right in today, but I'm gonna recap really quickly um, the nine standards um, that the DSM uses for diagnosing um, narcissistic personality disorder. Remembering that any five of these nine is how we make that actual diagnosis. And so here are the nine. I'm going to read them off really quick. It's a grandiose uh, logic or or self-importance, a fixation with fantasies of infinite success, control, brilliance, beauty, or idyllic love, a credence that he or she is extraordinary and exceptional and can only be understood by or should connect with other extraordinary or important people or institutions. Mm-hmm. Very important. A desire for unwarranted admiration, a sense of entitlement, interpersonally oppressive behavior, no form of empathy, resentment of others or a conviction that others are resentful of him or her, and a display of egotistical and conceited behaviors or attitudes. So to make this diagnosis, you need five of the nine of those. Today, we're going to talk about grandiosity. We're going to talk about um, fantasy um, or idyllic love. And we're going to talk about um, the feelings of being kind of extraordinary, a credence that he or she is extraordinary and exceptional and can only be understood by or should connect with other extraordinary or important people or institutions. That's what we're going to cover today. So... Yeah, let's jump in from there. Here we go. Here we go. This is going to be fun. (laughs) All right. Man, I'm just trying to think of people that I know or that I have known that have a grandiose sense of self-importance. I think that's one of the worst fears of my life as I've become educated. I love learning. I love being knowledgeable about the things that I and passionate about. So anything in the field of psychology, particularly connected to grief, trauma, uh, perinatal, mental health, all of those things are very interesting to me, mm-hmm. um, of interest to me. And then the field, um, the kind of the different breakdowns. I love um, learning about how that affects systems, yes. which you hear us talk about like churches or um, school systems or different things like that, because and we're passionate about how does this actually translate to systems, family of origin system, church systems, things like that. And so when I think of a grandiose sense of self-importance, I actually immediately go to pastors. No. So sorry, guys. No. I think about pastors that I've worked with that had an overinflated sense of purpose. And I'm going to tell you guys a quick story because it's funny. Um, <laughs> it's also a little bit catty. Sorry. <laughs> My I'm already and laughing and you haven't even started talking about anything. I just laugh. <laughs> Hopefully my husband will listen to this episode because maybe it'll make him laugh. But my husband and I, um, we travel together with our family a lot. We have four children. They range in ages now um, from three to 13. And um, one time we were at a Macy's. Okay. And we were walking around with our children, probably buying stuff that they did not need um, because, well, we just like to do it. We we love to be with our kids. They're so cute. They are cute. They're wonderful kids. I love her kids. I got to meet them all this summer. Yeah, she did. All of them. All of them. Instead of just one. We it was so fun. We had a big family powwow. It was great. It was. It was super great. And oh, we got along beautifully. And that's did. how we knew we could be friends for life. I know. I love her kids. So this is what happened. We were at a Macy's. It's a, short, a very short story. But we, I saw a woman who was walking around at a Macy's with a headset and a laptop. And I immediately thought this. You think you are more important than you are. <laughs> I don't know that's bad. <laughs> she worked for Macy's. 
And she was just really, really serious. And so listen, yes, I told you it was going to be a little catty, but that's the imagery I get. Like you're working at a Macy's, you've got your laptop and Uh your headset on and she was in it. And I'm sure she was doing something important. So don't hate me forever. And we love people who work at Macy's. We do. Macy's, you can sponsor our podcast. You totally can. You can. It was just the visual depiction that I had of her walking around with her laptop, very serious, very just like driven. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else matters. And I just thought, wow. That looks like, you know, that is being done yes. with a How many very... pair of Jessica Simpson leggings do we have on aisle seven? <laughs> very lofty sense of purpose. Okay. So sorry. That's my story. That's story time with Jess. It's really true. It is. I think I don't take my job too seriously a lot. And I think part of me not taking my job seriously comes from being around people that I think a lot of times think things are problems that I don't think are actual yeah. problems. Yeah. And I think this happens in relationships a lot. I think this happens in churches a lot. And I think it connects in really great with that grandiose logic of self-importance. That idea of like, this is so big because I'm part of it. Rather than just realizing it's not that big of a deal. Mm. And that we could operate really humbly. So, um, Well, it's like the inability to see outside of yourself. Like... This is so important. If I do not stalk the Jessica Simpson leggings, that their <laughs> world will stop revolving. Something will happen. But I think that's what happens with narcissists. Yes. It's like if I don't... And I think in my dealings, some... Because I'm willing to go less than, like my natural tendency would be like, it's fine, you go, go ahead, whatever you want. Yeah. Like I'm a two, I'm very much like people pleaser that like I've been in situations where I've deferred like I've moved heaven and earth like I'd say my schedule can be like Tetris right yours too right four kids your Mm -hmm. practice like all the things like I will move Tetris around so that you and your one situation can be accommodated and I think that's a narcissistic tendency of like Mm. your thing becomes so important That I will now move five things to accommodate your one thing because your belief of that thing is so strong. Mm -hmm. And it's it's on me too. My Mm -hmm. inability to say, okay, like I really have to move five things and it's going to be quite difficult. But my inability to say that though allows and makes space for more of that narcissistic behavior or that tendency because it's true. It's like, yes. My stalking of the leggings is far more important than your suicidal client, your daughter's dance recital, your tax deadline, and your manicure. I mean, you know. Well, you know, I think people talk a lot about how narcissists and empaths connect. But I don't think we talk a lot about how people who have a grandiose sense of self often will also pair with people that are really humble. And so I think that this is a feature that uh, needs to be explored with a little bit more um, depth because that grandiose sense of self, that hyper, that need to be hyperinflated kind of all the time and be up, up, up. I'm the most important. Yes, people who are empathic tend to have um, some humility and often defer to just meeting the needs of other people all the time. But that idea of like, I've got to make myself less to, to consistently, you know, keep you elevated. We see that, or I see that, I'll let Cass speak for herself, in, in larger structures as well, in, you know, in churches, in government, in um, fields of academia and things like that. Like, I, I'm going to lower myself to make sure that you wow. always feel big. Wow. 
And so I would encourage that Wait. you look for that. Listen. In- <laughs> Listen. I, I just have to be honest about this. Sure. And, and I, you know I'm passionate about narcissism in the church, and I'll give a plug. Chuck DeGroat has an amazing book called When Narcissism Comes to Church, and it's really been a life-changing mm. book for me and just something that, like, encapsulates a lot of what I feel in my spirit. And so this week, I just had a minute where I paused because I've seen so many people, and I feel like I just want to say this even to whoever's listening. I've seen so many people lay down visions, dreams, plans, burdens that they carry personally to make themselves less so they can make someone, really I see it a lot in ministry, I can't lie, see someone in ministry bigger. And the reality is we're never called to make a person bigger. We're called to make Jesus bigger. Mm. We're called to make the thing that you are built and born to do can only be done by you. And Mm -hmm. it's like when we put that on pause, put that on hold, we put that on the back burner, we totally shelve it because we're afraid of being bigger than a person that we're serving. Danger, Mm -hmm. danger, get out, take note make a note, right? Like you are putting yourself on hold. And that's where that grandiosity rules the day. And that's where I've seen people, like I was just going through a list. I was talking to a friend and I just was so grieved because I was thinking of this, this church in particular that I won't name before you ask. And it's, you wouldn't ask, but the people might ask. Um, (laughs) And I was thinking of the number of people that I knew when it first, when I was first encountering them and the church and how many visions they had, how many dreams they had, the things that were so clear and so precise that they were supposed to do. And now they're doing none of that because Mm. they can't because the fear of exceeding the leader, whether this be a spouse, whether this be a friend, whether this be a pastor, whether this be a boss, Mm -hmm. whether this be a mentor, the fear of exceeding the leader trumps obedience. Mm. I'm over that's that. really good. I'm over that. Mm. Did I say that? I'm over that. That's amazing. It annoys me and does more say things Say it again. That's really good. The fear. The fear of allowing what's put in you to do. Put in whatever you want to do. If you don't even want to make it spiritual, don't make it spiritual. The thing that you're born to do. You know in your bones and in your guts what is the thing that you're born to do. And you're moving towards. We're always moving towards something. It's right? True. That's true. And it's literally that thing. That thing that you shelve, you diminish, you minimize, you make smaller, you put on the shelf, you do abandon because your fear of them sniffing it out and not allowing you to operate in that system. You talked about systems Hmm. then becomes what rules you versus what you're actually built to do. Not okay. That is such an interesting perspective, how that, you know, narcissist need for grandiosity and to be at the high, like at the pinnacle, they have to. how that will inhibit us from carrying out dream and passion. I don't, I don't think I've ever really thought about it that way, but like how it's stifling, you know, on one hand, I think I think about it as a clinician from that perspective of like how a, a person who is in relationship with a narcissist, and you make a good point, whether that be a boss or a pastor or a, a, a parent or a, a spouse, 
Um, but how kind of you're kind of giving of yourself sacrificially for the sake of what the, the need of the narcissist is, which fulfills narcissistic supply, which is a whole other thing. But I've never, I don't think, ever thought about it from that angle of like, well, you just really can't. You just really can't go any further. Like there's a, a barrier that's in place because that sense of grandiosity takes priority over the needs of anyone else. So it's really interesting, but I think it connects in well too to that idea of fantasy, yeah. right? Here's the fantasy, not dream, not vision, not purpose, well, but here's the fantasy. Well, there's a big difference. There's a really big difference. Yeah. And so if you link in spirit, which, you know, mind, body, spirit, I teach mind, body, spirit in my practice. How do we even know and delineate? I won't go on a tangent here, but how do we know and delineate what is maybe even God given purpose, vision, and destiny in our lives versus the fantasy? Right. That maybe is not anchored in where God's calling us, but there's something idyllic about it. There's something, you know, uh, I don't even know how about it. Fantastical about what you feel like you want to do, but is it or is it not derived from something that you're being led of spirit to do? That's, that's a really interesting concept and how that being misaligned, say if at the top, you know, I, I tell my clients a lot that the DNA structure of um, churches, of businesses, it's replicated by what's well, on the top. Well, so then what we do is we are duplicating. We are duplicating the ability, because then I think it goes to the next layer, right? Think about it systemically, right? You think about a church. I can't help it, guys. I can't help it. That, like the church is like so heavy on my, on my mind and on my heart yeah. this week. But it's like, I think about that. Okay, so then you got your next level, right? Which is like your kind of your C-suite people. When you think about a church, you've got your executives, your people. Then you go down from there. You go all the way down to your volunteers who like then don't let the person beneath them surpass where they are. So then you've got this structure and this system. And then watch it. Someone gets plucked from the depths. Someone comes from the outside or someone does get plucked from the lower level of that system and elevated up. What happens? People are mad. People are mad. Yeah. Because you know what I've done is I've stifled myself. I've put my thing on the back burner. I've shelved my dreams. And then this person gets to be elevated. Mm. Oh my gosh, there's so much in that. I can't even start. I can't start. You got to make me stop. You talked about it. And I well, I mean, it just I'm on a big one. It is. That is, a, it's an amazing perspective, but it also connects them with a third part of it. The idea that, you know, I am created for this extraordinary and this exceptional and that I can only be understood by and should oh. only even connect with. Oh that is an gosh. important part of it. Oh, Other extraordinary, important people or institutions. I'm going to tell you guys a quick counseling story based on that. Mm. Um, I had a couple that came in um, that were considering marriage. And um, I had this experience with this individual who was called into what he said was to be an evangelist. And one of the things that um, he had mentioned in counseling was that he had believed he was sent to uh, minister to an elite group of people. I was sent to minister to only, now that was the specifier that kind of caught my attention, only elite personality Mm. types, famous people, people with influence, people with power. I have been sent to minister to those people. And I remember just hearing that one part, that just kind of one feature and that really grabbing me of like, you know, 
well, why? I mean, I didn't ask that. I don't ask a lot of why questions in therapy. But Thank you. Thank you for that. I remember feeling that just within me as a human of like, well, why would you have been sent there and not sent to the lowly, mm. to the to the people who don't have influence that are that are poor, that are, you know, why just people of influence? And when I think about, and, and I'm not saying this individual was a narcissist, he may or may not have been, I, I didn't work with him long enough to know. So I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just using that one example of how this idea that I was sent to, you know, only be connected with extraordinary yeah. people and what that means, you know, that lack of humility that exists there and how harmful that can be, but also what it creates within a, a marital structure. Oh, right. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Do you want to speak to that? Oh. Like what it creates in this marital structure is that they, a lot of times, narcissists, a lot of times want to be connected um, to partners that are influential they do want that sometimes. And so covert narcissists will attach themselves to people who have influence and they will also dually try to thwart that influence. If you've ever been there, whew, that's a hard one to navigate. Um, so you see that a lot in covert narcissism, but they also want you know, to be connected to, a malignant narcissist will want to be connected to people who are influential and demand that of their partners as well. But demand that when their partners are in those settings, a lot of times um, that they are invisible in those settings, which is such an interesting double bind. Please come with me into the space that you don't actually want to be in because you're super humble and you don't actually care about the influential. Um, you know, don't necessarily want to be connected there. But while you're there, please be invisible so that only I can shine. Whew, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Cass looks dumbfounded right now. Like, Literally, I don't ooh. even like there are so many threads on this conversation that I want to pull, mm. but I feel like we will end up having this series for all of 2024 <laughs> if we do, because literally that's so true. But imagine, you know what I think about this though, as you're, you're saying this about a, a partnership in, in, a, in a relationship, and I think this could be true in any other, I've seen this just to take it outside of the church. Let's just do that because I think like I've seen CEOs who've had their wives in tow. And I look at the wife and, and I don't mean it even sexist because it could be a female CEO with a male, you yes. know, that like it's possible. But what I've seen is I look at the spouse and I see the dreams and visions that have died, the things that have been shelved mm. because they've had to be, let me walk alongside you. Let me travel with you. Let me entertain your, um, mm. your clients and let me entertain your work colleagues and let me be that yeah. wife or husband on your arm that allows you to shine. And I'm like, that's not how we're built to be as people. Mm -mm. I decide I don't want people in my life that aren't going to let me be me. Bye. Because the reality is that narcissistic place for me after 40 years of living, it's like I allowed so many people to dull my shine, like, and to allow me to be less than, to diminish, to minimize myself. And I feel for people, and if that's you mm. in a relationship, even in a marriage, I'm so sorry. Because yeah. you, the, a marriage, a healthy one, is two people equally pursuing what they're built to do together. Mm -hmm. And maybe there are seasons where, um, you know, somebody's in school and the other person's working and they just are supporting them. Okay, there's that. There's an ebb and flow. But the reality is there's a systemic goal that both parties are reaching as opposed to one person needing to shine solely. Yeah. It's just not healthy. It's certainly not. No. And I think that's mm. not healthy even in, I think a church, go back to church, I can't help that either, but it's like a church is built to be a body that functions together just as a marriage, a family, right? Like I can't not see my kids' giftings. 
Right. I can't not see what Emerson is about and loves and uh-huh. needs. What stimulates her brain and uh-huh. her, what does she enjoy doing? Like, Emery is so social. Like, her teacher even wrote a note home. It's like, to take her out of social situations, it would be like kryptonite to her. Yeah. But if, as an introverted parent, I'm not, but if I was, like, I have to know that. So yeah. family, church, how many people have gifts that you could tap into and let them be good at that part while you're good at something uh-huh. else? But narcissism in these arenas doesn't allow for that. Yeah, they actually get really flared up and angry whenever that oh. occurs. Or will shut down, weaponize silence is something that you'll see a lot in those places where if you're in a relationship like this, you might encounter kind of trying to reach for what those dreams or passions are for you yourself and find that you consistently don't get support in that from What are you your trying to prove? What are you trying yeah. to do? What's your agenda? Mm-hmm. What are you trying to do? Are yeah. you trying to leave me? Right. Are you trying to are you trying to get money so that you can leave me? Are you trying to mm-hmm. see me? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to be famous? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I just went into like No, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> it really does because their ego won't allow it and they get so scared that they're going to be um, you know, that they're going to be demoted essentially, right? That demotion. What if I'm? What if I'm no one? What if I'm? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We literally could not. We could just keep going and keep going and keep going. I think um, we're gonna pause here and we're gonna come back with some more characteristics. We're just gonna pull on all the threads and everything's gonna unravel. How about that? That'll be great. Let's Let's just do do it. it.